You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Merciful God, speak through this stammering tongue. Work through these feeble hands. Heal broken hearts. For Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, so far in Genesis, I don't know if you've noticed, but everything has centered on strong men, hasn't it? It's all been about strong men. In Genesis 12, God made a promise to a man named Abram. Genesis 13 saw the conflict between two men, Abram and Lot. Where we then witnessed the battle of the nine male kings, and last week God sealed his promise to the same man, Abram. And all this time, as you've been reading it, you might have wondered at the back of your mind, where are all the women? After all, right, if, if God's promised to Abram of a new life with many children, that, that's his promise, then surely you think he's got to involve his wife, Sarai. What does she think about it? What's her place in God's plan? You see, Genesis 16 is a chapter that gives voice to the women of promise. And in this chapter, we hear their story. It's remarkable when you think about it, right? Genesis was written into a patriarchal context, a patriarchal culture where strong men ruled the day. And yet, this ancient text gives voice to the voiceless. It speaks not just for any women, but for two vulnerable women. Women who experience great suffering. Sarai, a barren wife without hope. And Hagar, a slave girl without care. You see, these are women for whom God's promises seem so distant because life tastes so bitter. And as we look at their plight, you might find yourself sharing in their pain. You might find yourself asking with them, what can God's promises possibly mean for me? Friends, this is a remarkably moving chapter, and it meets us in our grief. And I pray that you might be comforted, just as I have, that God sees our pain, He hears our cry, and He keeps His promise. I want you to imagine a dad for a moment who drops his daughter to school in the morning. He looks at her in the eye in the morning and says, after school, I'll be here. I'll be here to take you home. I promise. Just wait for me. 3.30 comes, the school bell rings, and the little girl runs out to the gate, but her dad is not there. So she waits. She trusts her father's promise that he will come. An hour passes, and another hour, and another hour, and the little girl begins to wonder, has my dad forgotten? You know, in Genesis 12, God promised to give Abram a new home, a new life, a new love. He would make him the father of many nations and give him children as numerous as the stars in the sky. And last week, as Noonbid showed us, he sealed that promise with his own life. If I don't keep my promise, strike me dead. But now, 
In Genesis 16, verse 3 says that, well, 10 years have passed. 10 long years have passed since that promise was first made. 10 long years since Abram left everything he had and everything he knew, all for that promise. But 10 years later, God has not kept his word. Verse 1, Abram's wife Sarah had not borne any children for him. Just imagine, one year passes, and another, and another. And Sarai begins to wonder, has my God forgotten? Oh, you can hear the bitterness and resentment in her voice, can't you? Verse 2, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. This is your fault, God. You did this to me. You're the one who's made my life miserable. You've forgotten about me. You've failed me. So tell me, why should I wait any longer? Have you ever felt like that? Like God has forgotten you? Like God has failed you? I mean, maybe you've never said it out loud. You wouldn't dare say it out loud. But actually, deep in your heart, you think to yourself, this is all your fault. How could you do this to me? Friends, that is exactly how Sarai feels. So instead of waiting for God to fulfill the promise that he made, she hatches a plan to take control of her life. She says, well, if God won't look after me, I guess I'll look after myself. A life of childlessness. A life of hopelessness? I can't. I won't. So Sarai, she sees her Egyptian slave, Hagar. And instead of waiting on God, she thinks to herself in verse 2, perhaps through her I can build a family. Notice, not through God, but through her. An Egyptian slave, a foreigner to God's promise, an outsider to God's people. Instead of waiting on God's promise, Sarai writes her own destiny. She cannot trust God's promise. She cannot trust God's timing. Sarai rests her future out of God's hands. And I wonder if you notice, just like Eve, she seizes control of her life. Eve took the fruit. Sarai takes her slave. Eve gave the fruit to Adam. Sarai gives her slave to Abram. Eve leads Adam into sin. Sarai leads Abram into sin. And all because neither Eve nor Sarah can wait on the promises of God. I love it, right? Ever the leader, just like Adam, what does Abram do? He keels over and just does as he's told. In verse 4, he sleeps with Hagar and she becomes pregnant. But Sarah's plan does not end well. For no plan of sin ever ends well. You see, Hagar becomes pregnant and proud. She has everything her mistress Sarai longs for but cannot have. And so she despises Sarai. She treats her with contempt. Just imagine that. Desperately longing to have children. Only to be mocked by others who enjoy what you want but cannot have. Oh, it's cruel, isn't it? So in verse 5, Sarai blames her husband. You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms and when she saw she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. Gripped by bitterness, 
envy. Resentment, Sarai, is lashing out at anyone and everyone. And yet again, husbands of cross and crown, don't follow this example. Abram, just like Adam, wants nothing to do with it. You do whatever you want. And she does. Sarai abuses Hagar so badly that she runs away. She literally runs for her life. We read this, right? And let's face it, Genesis 16, it doesn't really paint the most positive view or picture of Sarai, does it? Look at her. She doesn't trust God's promise. She doesn't trust God's timing. She seizes control of her own life. She leads her husband into sin. She's envious, bitter, resentful, and she abuses the victim of her own sin. And yet, can I tell you, I sympathize with Sarai. I sympathize with her so deeply. I can't begin to imagine the grief that she must be feeling. Just imagine, if God promised to give me children, and I've been waiting for over 10 years, 10 years, the truth is, I would feel forgotten by God. I would feel betrayed by God. For many women, childlessness brings grief, fear, and even shame. Just imagine how sad it must be to grieve a child you deeply love but have never met. It's heartbreaking. And yet you haven't even held her in your arms. It's not just grief you're feeling, it's fear as well, isn't it? You see, in that world and many cultures today, children grow up to care for their parents in their older age. So if I don't have kids, well, I'm terrified that I'm going to grow old and no one will care for me. And you know the worst one? I hate that it's true. But even today, there is a shame that many women experience at being childless. As if somehow not having a child means that you're not fully grown up or not fully mature. That somehow it's your fault that you can't have kids. Oh no, I'm slow to judge them. Well, the truth is I can see myself in You know, when I'm scared, sad and shamed, isn't it so easy to blame God? So easy to think that He's forgotten me? That He's failed me? Isn't it so easy to distrust His promises, His timing and His love? Isn't it so easy for us to think to ourselves, well, if God doesn't look after me, I guess I'll look after myself. Oh no, friends, in Sarai, we see how easily we fail to wait on God and how quickly we seize control of our own life. Our story now shifts and we look at the world through the eyes of Hagar. You see, if Sarai is sad, scared and shamed, then Hagar is abused, abandoned and alone. Now, let's be clear. It's not that Hagar is totally innocent, right? Remember, out of pride, she treated Sarai with contempt all because she could get pregnant and Sarai couldn't. But still, she was abused by Sarai so severely that she literally ran for her life. In verse 7, we find her sitting all alone by a spring in the wilderness on the way to Shur. Hagar has no one. She's desperate. She's destitute. And then, in a moment of surprising tenderness, 
an angel of the Lord finds her and he calls her name. Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replies, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel then says something really, really strange. He tells her to return to her mistress and submit her authority. And you might think, why in the world would this angel tell Hagar to return to a place of danger? Why would he send her back to a place of such great suffering? It was in verse 10, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. Friends, can you see what the angel is saying? Go back to the family of promise. Go back to the people of promise. Go back to the place of promise. Because when you are kept in God's promises, you will share in God's promises as well. I will bless you with the very blessing that I gave Abram. I will give you a new life with a great family. Verse 11, you have conceived and will have a son. Oh, you're afraid of what Sarah might do to you? Well, whatever Sarah might do to harm you, I promise, I will protect you. Just think about this for a moment. Hagar is actually the only woman in the entire Old Testament to whom God comes and personally extends his promise. This abused and abandoned slave girl is honored by God. Now, now let me be very clear. This passage is not saying you should return to or stay in an abusive relationship. No, if you're in one, you need to get out now. That's not what this passage is saying. Let me tell you what it is saying. It's saying that all the difficulties of this world cannot compare with the greater promises of God. All the difficulties of this world cannot compare with the greater promises of God. The news, though, is not all good. Verse 12 says that Hagar's son will be a child of perpetual conflict. There is a heavy cost to Sarai's sin. Or in the words of Agatha Christie, old sins cast long shadows. But I want you to see, friends, even so, there is something amazingly and remarkably tender about our God here. Hagar names her child Ishmael. And that means the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. Isn't that beautiful? In the deepest moments of our despair, God comes to us and assures us, I hear your cry. I am not indifferent to your pain. When you feel like no one else can hear you, when you feel like no one else is listening, when you just want someone to notice, God says, I hear your cry. But not only does God hear us, in verse 13 we realize that actually the one speaking to Hagar is not just an angel of the Lord. No, the person speaking to Hagar is the Lord himself. He is God. He is Yahweh. You see, God doesn't just hear her cry. God personally comes to meet this woman in the depths of her despair. From heaven he came to this abused and abandoned woman. No, God doesn't thunder from the heavens and remain at a distance. He doesn't demand that she come to him. 
No, in this literal wilderness of despair, God hears her cry and comes to her aid. And he gives her the honor of naming him. Did you know that Hagar is the only person, man or woman, in the entire Old Testament who names the Lord? We normally think of a parent naming a child, right? Giving them an identity, saying, this is who you are. Hagar, of all people, gets to name God and say, this is who you are. Man, not a single person gets the honor of naming God except for this abused and abandoned woman. God takes an abandoned slave girl. He lifts her up. He gives her a position of unparalleled privilege in the pages of Scripture. And of all names that she could choose, this is the name that she chooses. El Roy, the God who sees me. Oh, with a weak and humble faith, Hagar asked in utter disbelief, in this place, have I actually seen the one who sees me? Have I looked upon the God who looks after me? Friends, God loves the outsider. God shows mercy to the outsider. My gosh, he comes with this abandoned slave girl who no one wants, who no one cares about, who's outside of his people, who's outside of his promises, and he comforts her. He blesses her. He calls her home. You see, God has a heart not just for his ancient people of Israel. He has a heart for people from every tribe. God loves the foreigner. He loves the forgotten. He loves the oppressed. He loves the weak. He loves the abandoned. And he loves the abused. God comes in mercy to save a vulnerable and voiceless woman. If you're not a Christian, I wonder, does that picture of God surprise you? Do you imagine God to be tender, merciful, and loving? You could be forgotten, forsaken by everyone in the world, but this God came to meet you in the depths of your despair. He came for Hagar. And in Jesus, He came for you. My gosh, what an assurance for us non-Jews, for us Gentiles. We who are far from God, that in Jesus, God came to comfort us. He came to bless us. He came to call us home. You see, Genesis is inviting every single one of us today to see ourselves in this Egyptian slave girl. It wants us to realize the lengths to which God has come for us. God saw our pain. He heard our cry. And He came to us in the person of Jesus. Hagar asked the question, Have I seen? Have I seen the one who sees? Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we have. We have seen El Roy. We have looked up and on the cross seen the God who looks after us. Jesus came to answer our cry and to bring us home to God. I think it's an utter shame, right? 
If only Sarai could have seen it. If only she knew that God saw her pain. If only she believed in the marrow of her bones that God would not delay. He would keep his promise. She would never have thought, I need to seize control of my life. No, she'd be able to wait. To wait on the promises of God because God always keeps his promises. And he will always come to his people. All in his time. Well, friends, in the lives of these two vulnerable women, God has two messages for all of us today. Two messages. Number one, I see your pain and I hear your pain. I see your pain and I hear you. I wonder as you hear and listen to the lives of these two women, if you can identify with them at all. Can you think of a time in your life, maybe even now, when it feels like everything is going wrong. And you can't help but feel it's all God's fault. God is doing this to me. God is hurting me. God is the reason why I'm sad, I'm scared, and I'm ashamed. Have you ever felt like your life is spinning out of control and all you want to do is just to seize control of it? You say to yourself, this isn't how my life was meant to be. All I wanted was a normal life. I just want to be like everyone else. And like Hagar, we feel abused, abandoned and all alone. We just want someone to see us, don't we? Someone to hear us. Someone to notice. But we couldn't feel more invisible. We couldn't feel more alone. I don't know about you, but in those moments, it's so easy to feel resentful, to blame God, to blame others, just like Sarai, you did this to me. Friends, given the average age of our church, not many of us have yet personally experienced childlessness. But the stats indicate that one in every six couples are infertile. And one in every four pregnancies end in a miscarriage. I know many of you will know people who have gone through this. And it kills me to say it. It hasn't happened to us yet. But it will. It struck me though that the feelings of being sad, scared and shamed, they're not just relevant to childlessness either. They're actually what many people feel in older singleness. Sad as you grieve the loss of a relationship or a marriage you've never had. Shame and not being considered normal or mature or feeling like you've let your family down. And the truth is, you feel scared terrified actually terrified at the thought of being just like alone with no one to care my brother or my sister if that's you can I you please don't give in to bitterness please don't give in to resentment please don't give in to envy I want you to know God sees your pain 
He hears your cry. Gosh, in this earthly life, Jesus knew a loneliness in a way that none of us will ever know. He never married. He was disowned by his family and on the cross he was forsaken by his father. No, Jesus doesn't just see your pain and heal your cry. No, he came to bear your pain by dying for you on a cross. Let me be clear. God doesn't promise us marriage and he doesn't promise us children. Don't believe a word of it if anyone tells you one. And that does mean for some of us, loneliness will be a lifelong struggle. But let me assure you, God promises something far better than that. Oh, he promises someone far better than that. God promises you not a spouse nor a child, but his very own son. He promises you a new love that will never fade away. And even in the pain of your singleness, God wants to show you that Jesus isn't just enough. No, he is more than enough. Do not think for a moment that God does not love you. My gosh, he loves you so much that when you were at your worst, God gave you his best. Secondly, wait for me. Wait for me. I am coming. I don't know about you, it's not always easy to wait on God, is it? We can feel a bit like that little girl waiting for her dad to pick her up from school. We can think that God has somehow forgotten us and somehow failed us. And let's face it, as each year passes, the pressure from everyone around us just grows, doesn't it? And as the pressure grows, well, our bitterness and resentment can so easily deepen. When we see our friends give birth to children while we remain childless. We attend weddings, fake a smile and drive home feeling entirely alone. We see our friends who have everything we want but cannot have. And we know we shouldn't. But we both envy them and resent them all at the same time. And the pressure to stop trusting God's promise is actually unbearable, isn't it? Like Sarah, you just want to seize control of your own life. So in our singleness, we think to ourselves, I'll pursue a relationship with a non-Christian because actually it's better to have someone than no one at all. But God calls us to wait on him. Now, let me be very clear. He calls us to wait on him, not for a husband, a wife, or a child. God has never promised. I've heard people say, oh, you know what, if you wait on God, God will provide you with a husband or a wife. Rubbish. It's simply wrong. And don't believe a word of it. And please don't tell other people that. Don't wait on God for them. Wait on God for God. God came in Jesus to give you a new love so much greater and so much sweeter than anything in this world could ever give you. And one day he will come again. Jesus will come to bring us home once and for all. And the love he offers will more than satisfy the childless and the lonely. Psalm 27 ends with these words. I am certain... I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Why can we wait? Because we are certain in God's promise that one day we will see his goodness in the land of the living. Brothers and sisters, do not be like Sarai. 
Do not seize control of your life by rejecting the plans and promises of God. No, hold on to those promises. Cling to them. For dear life, knowing that God sees your pain, He hears your cry, and He keeps His promise. All in Him. Now, now comes the part of the sermon where I didn't know how to say it or not, but I will. Here you go. Um, if you're new, welcome. You will lack context with this. For those of you who are with us, well, you'll know. Uh, some of you would know uh, that over the last uh, year plus, uh, I was engaged to be married. Um, And as a result of COVID, that didn't work out. Uh, she was in Malaysia and uh, not here. And thinking about ministry and marriage and all of that, just decided to not go ahead with it. And I can tell you that um, you feel all of those things. Um, you feel sad at what you lose. The weird one to feel is shame. I didn't realize this one. You, it's easy to think that you've failed people around you. And I think the one that got me more than anything was feeling like um, it's the first time that it would affect how I could care for you guys as well. Um, whether you think any less of my ability to care for or love people past you. And one that I didn't expect to feel um, until... You don't feel this when you're 21. You feel this a little bit when you're older. Um, <laughs> not that I'm that old. Um, I'm not normally one to feel fear. But I was pretty scared. Um, it is the first time in your life, some of you will know this, that when you get to your early 30s and something like that happens, you look forward and you think to yourself, there is no other moment in your life. Like, kind of like, like my dark morbid joke was it's just a straight road until death now, right? Like, it's just nothing else, right? Like, uh, and you don't want to ask people to help you. It's terrifying. And I had to remind myself in that time, imperfect. I didn't get it. I don't get it. No one wants to be that guy. I hate being that guy. I hate saying this, right? Um, I have to trust that God's plans are better than mine in ways that I cannot expect. God hasn't promised any of us uh, the things that we want, but he has promised everything that we need. I can wait. We can all wait. Not for the thing that we want, but for the one who we really need. We can wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and save us. Throughout that time, um, I, there was a song that got me through it. Um, it's called He Will Come and Save You and we're going to sing it in a moment. But this song um, 
and I hope it will help you. And then we will sing it together. When you're not sure if he will come, he will. Let me pray. I'm certain. I'm certain. I am certain that we will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be correct. Wait for the Lord.